I want to welcome you to the show, Ken Sagos. We have a very special guest here joining me on the phone lines, as you may know him from Kincaid and A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, and A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master. We have the one and only Ken Sagos. Ken Sagos, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing all right, but I don't know if I'm all that. I appreciate that. But let me apologize ahead of time. I have this cough. And so, see, I started coughing. It's because I uh, have a seasonal cold. Oh, okay, that, that, that's fine. <laughs> I hope you're feeling okay besides that and you're enjoying your Monday and enjoying the the October season here because this is a big month for especially horror actors if you're doing conventions. Have you done any conventions this month at all? I just got back with one. I just got back from Pennsylvania. How was that? Allentown, uh, Pennsylvania. It was great. It was great. It was great. Now, when these fans were coming up to you, what were they saying to you that surprised you most that maybe fans haven't said to you at the past at these conventions? Most of the time, people want me to say one of the at least 17 lines from Nightmare on Elm Street. They tend to know a lot of my lines than I do. <laughs> and of course, they're hilarious, as we all know, and they're memorable. And that's why, to most of the fans, especially me, that you're the best Dream Warrior, and you got killed off way too early in the Dream Master, in my opinion. They way should... too early, way too early. <laughs> they should have really kept you on. But there was rumors I was hearing you hearing all these other uh, articles online and interviews that there was going to be a movie, and even you've confirmed that I believe that there was going to be a movie in which that you would fight Freddy in a another movie and help in the other Dream Warriors? Um, yes, there was rumors that I heard, but I do not know if that was officially true, but I had heard it several times. I had uh, been told that that was the reason I said when he killed me is I'll see you in hell. Uh, that was kind of like a take just in case they wanted to do that. But I don't... Um, but it was not officially told to me. I do know that there was also another script where it was called the uh, Dream Patrol, mm -hmm. where all of us came back and assisted some of the kids. This makes it interesting and, because they killed you off so early. Do you think that it would even be possible now or maybe you could perhaps have some say in it if say if Netflix wanted to put together some sort of series where they do the Dream Warriors backstories for all the Dream Warriors do you think that could eventually happen because there's such a fan base for these two films the Dream Warriors and the Dream Master I think that you know the writers of the Dream Warriors did a, a great job that was a wonderful script because it covered so many avenues it covered um, mental health it covered drugs it covered unity, it covered uh, coming together, uh, it covered a lot of things, and um, so um, I think that if they brought us back, I think it would be great, but I think you would have to be an exceptional writer to be able to bring it back. I'm not a big fan of remakes, but um I also said, at mentioned one time, that if they did bring the Dream Warriors back, I think they, all of us Dream Warriors should have a cameo role as the parents of the new Dream Warriors. Mm, I like that idea. I agree with you on remakes, too. And I know that you, you enjoyed the... 
the Freddy remake. You did, but you feel as though that it wasn't Robert. Where Jackie Earl Haley, he played a great Freddy. It just wasn't Robert. That's the thing. Yeah, I think that Robert has cemented Freddy in our hearts and our minds. And I don't. Th- I think that any time somebody do Freddy, that's who they're going to think about. Um, although uh, Mr. Haley, I, I think that he did a, a great job as Freddy, but he did his own take. Mm-hmm. And but Robert who is a phenomenal actor who comes from classical training. He, he studied with some of the great legends as, you know, Sir Lawrence Olivier. He's been in everything. He's a Shakespearean training actor and everything. I don't know that much about Mr. Haley, but I know Robert brought all of that to the piece. And in addition, he was a wonderful person on the set. He was everybody's big brother. If you spend 10 minutes with Robert England, it's like you've taken a class at Harvard because he's one of the most knowledgeable people that I know. Mm-hmm. What was the most valuable thing that you learned from Robert on the set? Because as you mentioned before, he was your big brother and it was such a family, especially in, in Dream Master. I heard the story of when they shot your scene, it kind of got emotional because it was the ending of you two working together on the set for that uh, movie. Uh, if patient. Patient. Um, because you have to have patience, because it was taking Robert sometimes three to four or maybe five hours to get in that costume, and then he was in it all day, and then it would take at least half that time to get him out of that costume, because the um, his mask was put on like a puzzle. Each, it was layers, each layer. And so... He had patience and through it all, he kept a phenomenal personality. And so you learn from that. You you learn the blessings of watching someone like Robert England, you know, do their craft and what you know, he um they would say cut. He would go back to a personality. When he become another person, he was not Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger was alter ego. And you can see that very well. Very well. Mm-hmm. You definitely can in the movies. And I want to know if you can recall the first time that you saw Robert in the Freddie England makeup. Because I know that you originally weren't up to date on the A Nightmare on Elm Street films originally. You haven't seen them. You kind of just walked in. I heard about your audition. It was rainy out. You had the attitude and the attitude yeah. was added towards the Kincaid character and that's why you were selected and you just it dominated that role completely but do you recall when you first saw Robert in the makeup and there there was you were in this iconic film Freddy Krueger part three pretty much here with a Nightmare on Elm Street I, I, I remember my first day is that it was at night time we was at uh, UCLA VA hospital it was, it was no longer a hospital they rented that place out and I remember going in my dressing room and there was two people to my left and I didn't know who it was then <laughs> and then all of a sudden he said I, I opened my mouth he said that must be Kenny Sago <laughs> and he knew about me before I knew about him and it was Robert and they was putting on his makeup and I was like wow uh, because I had not seen Nightmare on Elm Street before I auditioned mm-hmm. And, but I did get a chance to see some of it before I met Robert. 
So, and then when they stepped out the way and I could see him in his mirror and they were putting it on, I think he was working on his neck then and he was talking. It was like amazing because I was in and out of makeup in the next 10 minutes, if that. And he had already, from my understanding, been sitting in the chair for about three hours then. The good old days with the makeup. They don't have that anymore, pretty much. It's all CGI good now. <laughs> good old days, man, when, you know, um, uh, doing the film was an art. It wasn't like an assembly line. That's right. And one of the first things that we shot was the scene where we were in the, uh, where they took me out because I was, uh, saying nobody's going to put me in the street. Mm -hmm. That was one of the first things that we shot. And um, and I think another thing that happened is that Chuck Russell, um, once we was cast, he got us all together uh, a couple of times for a party. So we got to know each other. Uh, we got to know and care about each other you know, as people, not as the characters, before we did our scene. So when we did the first scene, there was already a connection there. It wasn't actually just coming on the set and meeting someone. And I don't know if he did it purposely or not, but we had not met Helva Landon Camp. We didn't meet Helva Landon Camp, believe it or not, until she walked into that room that day. Wow. So it was real, and it was it was more realism than it was acting, at least for me. Mm -hmm. You know, at least for me. It's similar to uh, rookies going into uh, their football camp. Pretty much, you get to know each other, and you and you build the the chemistry between each other. It's a team. That's how I look at acting when you're working on a movie or TV show. It's a team. You hear these stories yeah. about actors not getting along, and then you wonder, how did these amazing movies come out if they have beef with the directors or the fellow actors? But you could tell on this set that there was just some special chemistry there, and I think that's why it came out the way it did. And then you hear these amazing stories from the actors, such as yourself, behind it, and saying that you guys really were a family. I think it's also respecting the craft. Mm -hmm. When you respect the craft and you do your homework, and you allow the character to digest you, and you become a part of the character. You know, I didn't, I didn't allow myself to become Ken Seiko as much as it became Ken Cage. And but you see, I really love acting. I really truly love the craft. Mm -hmm. I study the craft. I, I, I talk to people who have been in the business. Some of the greatest teaching that you can get is talking to someone who has been in the business who can pass some knowledge down to you. And I, and I thank God that I had acquired a lot of that. And so, because let's for an example, from my understanding, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford did not get along. But when they did, was it Mary Jane? Oh, whatever happened to Baby Jane? Whatever happened to Baby Jane, that was too, that was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened is that they both were giants, but they respected the craft. Mm -hmm. 
when you respect the craft, you can let go of the personal and let the character take over. At least that's how I I do it. I respect the craft and I respect what I do. And I still take classes. I still read about it, you know. And um, you know, this the COVID thing came about, and you know, we cannot. Uh, we wasn't. I did not allow that not to let me study. So I still got together periodically with a few of my active friends, and we just read scenes together. And I believe in talking to the legends, those that came along before me, and talking to them about how they felt. Because, you see, they had something that I didn't have. They had pureness to get to their roles. We had a certain amount of purity. So the actors coming along after me, they, it's not as pure to me as it is. Mm-hmm. It's quick, you know, and, but it's still there, but it's quick. So I'm, I'm learning how to digest myself to this new generation, to this new world of acting. <laughs> Oh, and everyone wants to be an actor today, especially with social media taking over. Everyone's trying to fit their way into this industry. It's insane how times have changed since when you started. But a great example of you talking to one of the greats is Lawrence Fishburne, in which he taught you how to do physical acting, especially in the scene when they were taking you out of the room after you told the the head nurse there to the the <laughs> f you you sit down. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? And to this day, which I haven't had a chance, we we haven't had a chance and to sit down and talk. Mm-hmm. But to this day, he was a hero because I was so tired doing that scene. And he rescued me simply with some knowledge. Imagine how it would have been if I did not open my ears or open my door to allow knowledge to come in. To say you don't have to work this hard mm-hmm. when you study your craft. There's a thing called physical acting. I did not know about that then. Mm-hmm. And just think, just think about knowledge. At the end of the day, knowledge and just talking to people. It has, no, it has nothing to do with the age of the person sometimes. It has to do with the experience of the person. You know, um, I don't know if you know I. When I first came, moved to Los Angeles, I got a job at Universal Studios. As a security guard. Where I got a, yeah, a security guard. Well, I got a chance to meet some of the great legends of yesterday before they made their transition. And, you know, I can to be able to say I met Alfred Hitchcock. I met Lucille Ball. I met these people. Joan Rivers saved my life. I actually in the company of James Brown and Aretha Franklin. And you want to know, at that time, we didn't have cell phones, so we couldn't take pictures. No. But I got a chance to talk to them, even when it was just sometimes, don't give up. To to um, the great, you know, wardrobe lady, Edith Head, I was staring at a an Academy Award, and she said behind me, scared the shit out of me, by the way. She said, you can pick it up. And to be able, I didn't realize it at the time, but as I look at my life now and look back and 
see how rich I, my life was because as I walked through that path, the people I passed along the way. And I think they had a lot to do with me respecting the character of Kincaid and A Nightmare on Elm Street. But what is the thing that I respect the most are fans mm -hmm. because I am who I am because of fans. And by the way, I, I this is no smoke. I, I got a chance to watch your interviews, and I really, young sir, I really have a great deal of respect for your interviews. I, I found myself just going to look at it for five minutes to see what you was all about, but I don't look at several of them now and listen to them. And a lot of it has to do with how you're talking to them, how you bring out the confidence of people. So, so thank you. So. I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you. That really means a lot, Ken Stagos. That really does. And it, it's, it's an honor to have you here today, especially growing up watching the Nightmare on Elm Street and my favorite being Dream Warriors and Dream Master and just being able to interview you. It's an honor and having you on the show and saying that it means a lot. And, and congratulations on all your accolades and your achievements throughout your career. And especially the, the most recently, we have to talk about the awards that you won for your short film, The McHenry Trial, Don't Judge a Kid oh, by Their Hoodie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I recently, my latest short, not, that's not my latest short film, but Don't Judge, uh, the McHenry Trial, Don't Judge a Kid by Their Hood. It has won over 200 awards. Mm -hmm. um, but I myself am, have won, I think it's like 46, 47, and for Best Director, Best Writing, and stuff like that. So, And I say that to young people who are listening, listening, you're never too old to do it. No. You know, I was reaching the age now that uh, the role, a lot of the roles are not out there that I would get. So I wanted to direct. So I began to direct, and I just directed another short film called The Secret Weapon, Yesterday is the Day. Mm -hmm. It is about the children in 1963 who were kids ahead with this ruthless uh Bull Connor, yes. He was the Freddy Krueger for a lot of kids. <laughs> yes, I've yeah, heard I mean, you say that. Just look up that man. He he was the Freddy Krueger. And I and I tell you, when I was directing this here, I could see the horror. And mm. while I'm at it, let me give a shout out to the horror fans. Because it was many of the horror fans have given me money, sent me a dollar, sent me two dollars or whatever to help me make this short film. I still have to raise money to finish it. But to get where I am today, I have to give homage to the horror community. They are a very, very strong community. They are very supportive. And I certainly appreciate that. So, But I am still trying to finish my short. I just got back from Birmingham a couple of weeks ago where I did some exterior shots. It's going to be an extraordinary film, uh, educational film, and I think it's going to be an extremely powerful one. I think it's important, especially that you're tackling these issues because they need to be tackled, and I, I salute you on that, and I want the horror fans to continue to raise money and support you on that. And they, they could check that out on your website, sagoscompany.com. They can find out ways to donate. Yeah, and go to the sagoscompany.com. 
you can actually order some things that um, that I will some special orders that I have for you to help me raise the money. I still need to raise about uh, $9,000 to do the short film. Mm -hmm. I mean, to complete it. But it will be done because it's something that I believe in. But I just want to shout out and say thank you to the horror community if you um, see this interview. I don't want to call it an interview. I want to call it a conversation. Conversation. <laughs> uh, conversation. Yeah, yes. Yeah. That's right. I appreciate that. And yes, please, if you're listening and whoever sees the interview afterwards, once it's posted and uploaded and all that, please go check that out. Sagoscompany.com. And I did notice the canvases and you actually had the 34 canvases made. 34 was the number of your football number in high school. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I didn't say I played. That was my football number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, and I think there's nine canvases left. So I, if anyone wants to get them, I have nine left. Mm -hmm. so. I saw the one on your website. It's the one where Freddie's holding you up and when you're laying in the bed in part three. Yes. 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 I have nine left. Anyone who will go to the sagoscompany.com and place that order. Mm hmm Yes, please. And I may have to snatch one up. <laughs> because, yeah, do that. Yes, because I've never seen a, a canvas painting made of yourself as Kincaid. I've never seen that. So when I looked at that, I was it was such there's a rare piece. There's actually two of them now. You oh, know? So yes. I, I'll send you the other one. They both the same price. I, I, you know, I'll I send them to you. And, you know, and, you know, I can post them that people can place that order. I need it. You know, and it's going to be a wonderful piece. And also, what I would do is send you a couple of the steals from the uh, short where we shot it at. But it's going to be a great, great thing. But, you know. Yes. But, we can't forget that you also help kids with books in their school with your nonprofit organization called the Giving Back Corporation because people helped you along the way. So you're giving back because people helped you. And I think that's very important and, and generous of you. And I wish there were more people out there such as yourself because I know some of the horror actors out there, they just go for the, the dollar bills and they're like, give me your money and see ya, where you're just so generous to the fans and you care about people in this world to give back because people were so generous to you. I, I cannot, you know, I cannot disrespect the circle of life. Mm -mm. And, um, and as I talked to you earlier about when I was working at Universal Studios, the people that I met along the way, um, I often talk about how Jack Cluckman, who was playing Quincy at the time, when he found out that I was, a young actor that was they're trying to make it, you know, didn't have much money. He was filming Quincy, and he made sure that the caterer, caterer made a plate for me every afternoon. And if I was working, that caterer would find out where I was stationed at, and they would deliver a plate of food. So every afternoon he made sure that that was something that he said. He wanted me to have some to a conversation. Um, and um, like I said, Joan Rivers saved my job. And so along the way, I like to believe that God put people on the sideline of the path that I was crossing. 
and I got a chance to meet and talk with some great people. I could go on and on about that. It's not like I just want people to know that everything has a place. I, I, I the first words, I was in the back one at Guinea one night. They had me back there, and it was just so boring. And all of a sudden, this car drove up. And when I looked out, it was Richard Pryor. He said, how you doing, officer? And he talked to me about a couple of minutes. And, you know, it was just a conversation. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that was a part of my life. And, you know, and so I say this here that you don't know who along the way is going to inspire you. A smile would just inspire you. So I say that because I started my giving back in 1997 uh, because when I was going to school, I couldn't afford my books, and there was an elderly lady that helped me mm-hmm. after being a little Spanish-ass kid in my um, senior year when I graduated. So along the way, there are people that helped me. So. You know, Maxwell, I don't want to be able to say when I make it, I'm going to. Mm-hmm. All I know is that when I wake up in the morning, I've been blessed. So why not try to do something that day? I go to the convention. 75 to 80% of all of my funds that I get goes back to the community. And that's just something that I believe in. No pressure on anybody. It's what I believe in. You can go to my website. You can see what I do. That's right. I've been doing it since 92. I put over 600 kids through college. Some of them have a PhD now. And um, I put more than 5,000 supplies in classrooms across the United States. (laughs) And also, there are times that I've sent some pictures, signed autographs, the young people in different countries just to encourage them to say, don't give up mm-hmm. because you never know. And so that's, that's what Ken Sagos does. Yes. And that's what makes me happy. So when I see the fans and they give me their love and all this here, I just want to pass it on. But that's what I do. And I, um, it's nothing on any other artist out there. It's just something that I like to do. I just want people to know that I'm sincere about what I do. Um, I don't want to get into a religious thing, but just in case the good Lord says, time to come home, Ken Sago. I want to be able to say, I was trying to make a difference when you called me. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it's all about for me. And you did. Ken Sagos did. And we need more Ken Sagoses out there in the world. I want to get into your time at Kennesaw State University, and as well as your time at the UCLA Extension Program, because you actually studied under Edmund J. Cambridge and Marlon Brando, as we talk more about the legendary conversations that you've been able to have with such people in the industry. Let let me clarify the Kennesaw State. When I was in school there, it was Kennesaw Junior College. That's how old I am. But at the same time, I can remember sitting down with Dr. Sturgis, who was the um, president of the college at the time, who sat down and talked to me and 
asked me how I felt about it. Because at the time, they, blacks was not allowed, Bangles was not allowed. They wasn't welcome with open arms there. So we was going to school there through a bus. But it was Kennesaw Junior College now, which <laughs> later became Kennesaw State University. So that I just wanted to be able to clarify that. But I did attend there. I didn't finish. And okay. then I came to California, and I went through the UCLA Extension Program. Um, I studied with Marlon Brando that wasn't with the UCLA Extension Program. That was a workshop he had outside okay. of that. And I also took some classes from uh, Kelly Savalas. This with all this came through my working at Universal Studios and they were giving me a chance and talking with me and opening up their classes for me to go with them. Mr. Edmund J. Cambridge was one of the great teachers of and with the Negro Ensemble Company in New York and um, the New Federal Theater. So I'm so honored to be able to say that I studied with that giant of a man. And so, and I feel a responsibility that since they gave me time, and Miss Marla Gibbs, who had Crosswood Theater, I feel a responsibility that they gave me their time and their love to make sure that I could achieve something in life. And all they asked, something that Miss Marla Gibbs told me, when you take something, off the shelf, you put it back. And so, and this stuck with me. So she gave me the opportunity to take knowledge from her, knowledge from the community, knowledge from that class. So now I have to give it back. Mm-hmm. And so those things just, I guess I'm a sucker for knowledge that was mm-hmm. given to me, you know. Sometimes people need to understand that book knowledge is not always the only way to gain knowledge. And I like to feel like I'm a sponge, and so I'm going to absorb as much as I can and hold as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, I hope I answered your question because I can, I can carry on talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> you did, you did. It, just the amount of experience that you got during your time, especially as a staff writer at Paramount, you had your time there too. Oh, yeah. Uh, I studied with, excuse me, mm-hmm. Gary Marshall. I My first job was a apprentice writer for Johnny Love Trotty, then that got counseled. And I went to Laverne and Shirley. And when that left, I spent a little time over there at Happy Days. But by then, I had become, got my first credit as a writer. So, yes, I became a professional writer for Paramount Television. Now, man, I'm really telling my age now. Um, with Laverne and Shirley. And to be able to sit there and look at those wonderful, great talents at the time do their thing. That's why I met uh, the legendary Miss Virginia Capers from Broadway. She was the first black actress to get a Tony in a musical. So I... I guess I spend my time talking about the P 
people who was on the sideline cheering me on. And so, yes, um, I, my first uh, movie, which was a movie of the week for Disney, I won an Emmy for writing, which was a cable age at the time, but it's considered an Emmy now. So I've been blessed, uh, Maxwell. Yes. I've been blessed. So that's why I try to give back, and that's why I try to take time mm-hmm. to talk. You know, why can't? Yes, what's yeah. happening now? It's always sunny in Philadelphia. You can go check out that clip, which is hilarious, <laughs> in which you're in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know how I got that clip, by the way? How did you get it? I, I did not. Uh, I had not watched uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So when the agent called me to go out on that audition, I went, and uh, <laughs> and we was doing the scene, and so he said, you have any questions? I said, um, is, is this going to be a series or something? And they started laughing, right? Mm-hmm. And they thought I was joking, but I wasn't. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so <laughs> they said, he's hilarious, so. The next thing I know, two days later, I got the job. Congratulations on that. And something that we have to mention as an accolade for your career, which is history and horror, is that you're the first African-American actor to survive a major horror movie and reprise in the sequel. Yes, I say that, and I'm glad you said major, because the person that actually should get that accolade is the great actor Mr. William Marshall who did Blackula. That's right. But he's a villain. He doesn't count, right? Or he's already dead. He's already dead. <laughs> yeah, he's already dead, so yeah. technically he's yeah. dead. But, you know, they're going to do a remake of Blackula, and I'm trying so desperately to get a cameo or something in the remake of Blackula. I actually met Mr. William Marshall. Wow. You know, who said that, you know, we had something in common. You're the first um, one to survive, and we talked briefly, so I know they're going to do a remake on it, and I really want to do that. I really want to do another good horror movie. You know, I really do. Um, mm-hmm. I really do. So They're so rare Any nowadays. Directors out there who have a good horror movie, I I am very interested in doing one. I'm not talking about a slasher type thing. I'm just not bloody good. I'm not interested in that. I'm talking about a good horror film. Mm-hmm. It, they're so rare nowadays. I know that you're a big fan of the, the 80s horror films and the, all the horror films that came before. And now it's just, as you mentioned before, it's just uh, an assembly line. And we've seen that, how the yeah. horror movies now can be. And your introduction but, to horror but, was The Birds. Yes, yes, The Birds. And to later to be able to meet Mr. Average Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had a lot of circles. I've had a lot of circles that I... And I thank uh, God for that. I really have had a lot of circles. And I, and my finding this new role in directing and writing, I, I, I feel like a kid because there's so much more that I can do now that I want to do, and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm just looking to do it now. Mm-hmm. What is your number one passion out of, those three traits that you have, acting, writing, or directing? I, I, I wish that I could say there was one. Mm-hmm. All I can do is just say I have 
a three-sided coin. <laughs> <laughs> and I throw it up because when I'm acting, I love acting, especially stage. Mm-hmm. I love it. And when I'm writing, sometimes those characters take over you and you're writing. And you know I'm, I'm up at all different times of the night just writing. And um, and then I got into directing. And I'm, and I'm an old school director, too. That's what I've learned. Because seeing this new wave director, the director tells the AD, and the AD give all the direction. That's not who I am. I like to talk to the actors. I like to spend time with the actors. I like to hear how the actors have to, uh, to say. I'm an old school director because I, I grew up watching the old school director where the actors and the audience respected the director and the director with the directorship. And so that's what I love about that. I did hear and do my research on you is that you eventually want to write a horror film. I do. I want to write a horror film. I already have one in mind. I want to write a horror film. I want to do something to give some homage back to the old school and somehow do something to give something back to Mr. Applegate. Hmm. That would be interesting. I, I, I got a lot of things on the plate now. I know, uh, but man, I have to tell you, this past three weeks since I've been kind of like down in the weather with this cough and everything, and I don't have COVID, but that's good. Um, um, I was taking a test every three days, though. I will tell you that. <laughs> but um, and I was so sick at one point, man. I was just like, wow. So now that I'm feeling better. And um, I'm just rejuvenated to go out there and just get back and do some positive stuff. Now, I'm just living life. I'm riding life, as you know. I'm not letting life ride me. I've had some down moments, you know, a few years back. But I'm back riding life, man. I love that. And I I thank you Yes, you you respect and admire the fans, and they respect and admire you for what you did and your contributions to horror. And you mentioned the stage before because you actually started out on the stage for Pantomime. You were pretending on the stage that you were Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, and you said that you do love the stage. So, uh, Stevie Wonder, I was like James Brown. I I enjoyed doing all of them. You know, yeah. Pantomime and we. Then uh, uh, my friends, when we was in the fifth fifth grade, it was called pantomime. They call it lip singing now. Mm-hmm. And um, we used to do the groups back to Dale's, uh, the Temptations. We, we we did them all. And but which parlay into right now? One of my fundraisers that I do every year is that I get the kids from the community and I dress them up to become the legends of yesterday, like, you know, the Lena Horns, uh, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, and it's, it's twofold there. They become the legends of yesterday, and they're learning the history of the, uh, the shoulders that they stand on. You know, 
they, you know, they can't do Beyonce. They can't do anyone of the day because I want them to know that Beyonce is standing on Diana Ross's shoulder and Diana Ross is standing on Josephine Baker's, I mean, Joseph, yeah, Josephine Baker's shoulders and all of those. <clears throat> the connection is there. Um, and so that's what I enjoy doing, educating through entertainment, but not realize they being educated. Ken, I actually have an important question for you in being the first African-American to survive a major horror film and reprise a sequel. I think about this all the time because you look at films such as Night of the Living Dead, George A. Romero's masterpiece starring Dwayne Jones, who played Ben. Do you feel as though that there is a, a racial element in horror towards black actors and actresses? Do you feel as though? Because in, in times when I'm watching these movies, I feel as though there's something there and it does make me cringe. Why is the the black guy always have to die? That's how I look at it. But it, well, what is it, your take it, on it, that? It, it was the reflection of the time. Okay. It was it, it, it was a reflection of, and you got to realize sometimes people are biased and they don't realize that they're biased. Sometimes people, you know, they do racist things and they don't realize they do it. You know, and, you know, we all do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it was just, the time, you know, um, and it was just the way they saw it. And once they get educated, and sometimes it takes the children to educate you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to look at things through another lens that comes back at you. So um, it's just what it, it is. You know, that's not right. I don't like it. You know, um, you know, I, in one hand, I, I hate to say in 1987 when I did Nightmare on Elm Street uh, and came back in the sequel that to be able to say you was the first and something like that is really ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Now, originally, Kincaid was not for a black actor. That's right. Uh, so, you know, so... Did they set out to do that? I don't think so. No. But did it happen? It happened because I feel that I went in, I did a wonderful job, they migrated to Kincaid, and he got a chance to move that character up another step at, at, at that moment. I really, really believe that. And I, it is my hope that if they do make a sequel, uh, another remake of the Dream Warriors, which they're going to do because it's all about the green, it's all yes. about the money. <laughs> you know, so um, you can't get mad at it. It's about, at the end of the day, it's about the money. Um, I hope that that young actor would want to hear my knowledge just as I wanted to hear the knowledge of William Marshall, the knowledge of those that came before me. Nothing continues to grow, Maxwell, unless you pick up the baton. That's right. If you drop the baton in any life, anything, if you drop the baton, nothing moves forward. You're exactly right. It's so, it's, it's so 
so important for you to bring these stories up. It's so important for you to talk about these stories. And that's what I was saying when I was listening to you talk and listening to you talk with the others. People don't realize that there is an art to being a conversationist. What you want to say, interview, we can say interview. <laughs> but there's an art in doing that. And I and I saw that with you. Thank you. And, and we're not, and I like the fact that we're having a conversation and people are eavesdropping on our conversation. Yeah. Those are the best conversations. <laughs> they are. That's right. And Those it's the best important. Yes. I'd like to be eavesdropped on the conversation that we call interviews. Yes. You're exactly right. Conversations, it's, that's what we're having right now. It's important. And we just you just answered an important one right there and that more people should be bringing up and speaking on. And and, and there we have it from Ken Sagos. And just a quick hip-hop talk. I believe that in Dream Warriors, above your bed, it was a Run DMC picture. Run DMC. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and I, I, I wish I could have been in that video. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. Oh. And I was, most people don't realize it, but I was so shy at the time. I mean, I, I basically am still shy. I talk, but I, I'm not a person that go out there and become openly social. social. Mm-hmm. But I am a person that can go out there and put on a show to help people because it's not about me. And I really wish I could have done the uh, Ron DMC video. I think Robert Robert did it. Robert did it. And um, and another big fan, the person that I, I hope to meet was is like um um oh, like Ron DMC. I then he uh Freddie did it, am I correct? Freddie did the Ron, M- Ron DMC video. Oh, he actually did the Fat Boys one. The Fat Boys. Yeah, the Fat. He did the Fat Boys the one. Fat Boys, yeah. Yeah. Are, yeah. Are Are you ready for Freddie? That's what it's called. Yeah. 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 So it, I mean, uh, Dream Warriors touched a lot of things. It, it touched did. a lot of. It really did touch a lot of things. It did. It's an important film and. Kincaid is the most legendary character from it, besides Freddie, in my opinion. And you nailed every line in it. You just, I, I mean, just looking back, I'm just looking back on the on the clips a couple days ago. You just, you just nail the role, and you buy it. You buy your lines. It's so believable, and you don't have a straight face when when <laughs> when you're in that scene in the room and you're yelling at the nurse. You just can't keep a straight face because it's just so believable and. <laughs> I appreciate. I really do appreciate that. Uh, and well, that, I, I think about that at that time, back then, you know, I, wow, I didn't have a car then either. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's it's one hell of a performance. And you go up right against Freddy Krueger twice, if you think about it, because in the in this the Dream Master, he kills you, but still, you're face to face with him the first time. You, you're you have the courage. I, Your character has the courage. Word, like, I see you in hell. I yeah. mean, I, I didn't. I, 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 Kincaid was not a wimp. No, I will. Say he was not a wimp. No, you know, you know. Unf- he was a he was a young cub that was striving to be a lion. <laughs> and I think, 
and I think he gave a great roar at the end. Mm-hmm. And according to the comics, I've heard that you were actually uh, a panther, a black panther in the comics, your character. I was. I, that's that's what <laughs> I've heard. You, it, it, now I do have, there is a, um, there was a comic book where they gave homage to the X-Men. But, I, I, but if, you, if you find that comic, let me know. Yes, I will. But when I'm doing my research, I heard that that your character was in the comic, and I believe it was a panther or something. I I was doing when I was doing my research, I did come across that. Oh, I understand. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you find it, then you know. <laughs> For sure, I, I'll look into it, and if I find it, I'll send it to you. Kent Sagos, is there anything else you would love to let me or my audience know here today besides the secret weapon, your website, sagoscompany.com? The, the Giving Back Corporation, anything. Yes. Let's keep in touch. Yes. And, and Kent Sagos, you're always welcome on the show. I want to thank you here. I had a great time talking with you, and it was an important discussion. I love learning about your history and going over with, with you on the show here today. You're always welcome, man. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yes, and, and I, I'll be sending you an email shortly. Thank you. I appreciate it, Ken Sagos. I want you to enjoy the rest of your night. Stay safe. Enjoy the October season and, and Halloween. All right. And, and same to you. Let's talk soon, okay? Yes, appreciate for sure. It. Yes. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye.